American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. History for jerks. History, history for jerks. Samantha, that's a hickey. Stranger came in and slid his throat as well. Oh, oh, Terrible mess. I was covered in blood. 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 The smell of decomposition was obvious upon driving into the property. That's probably not in blood. Get into the bathroom. What do you do? He shot on the bed. He shot on the bed. Shot on the bed. Covered in blood. blood. Welcome to another episode of American Timelines. American Timelines. I'm Amy. And I'm not Amy. Nope, that's Joe. Yep. And this is the podcast that brings you all the crazy, nostalgic, interesting things from the past. Whatever. (laughs) Whatever. What's your problem? I don't know. Brent Nelson's got me down. You know, whatever. Brent Nelson doesn't want me to do this podcast anymore. Don't dwell on Brent Nelson, (laughs) honey. (laughs) All right. All I wanted was Brent Nelson's friendship. Listeners, can somebody please drop a good uh, review somewhere to get yes Joe and that's a good review about how great the guy is on this podcast and yeah, how please do how you like him rambling and, on and on and interrupting all the stories because otherwise i think joe's gonna dwell on um no brent it's nelson. fine brent nelson's a good friend is only is that's the thing is like i i always wished i had a friend named brent nelson and then i finally come in contact with somebody named brent nelson and they <laughs> Said I'm an asshole. <laughs> ah, no. Anyway, sorry. I got to stop talking about Britain. Yep. All right. Let's get right into it. Let's just jump in because we got to finish this year. We're yes. in November. We got to finish 1965. That's where we're at. We're in 1965. Yes, 1965. And if you uh, were taking a dump during the last episode, uh, you know, one of those memory lapsing mm-hmm. dumps. Yeah. Uh, we left off. Uh, at the end of October. Correct. We talked about the St. Louis Arch. Yes, I remember something. that. And now we're November 1st, Monday, mm-hmm. which is a Monday, 1965. And uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Okay. But this is something you're going to have to Google to appreciate. There's an airline called uh, Braniff Airlines. Okay. And on November first, nineteen sixty-five, they debuted. They debuted. They debuted. Whoa. Sorry, a space age fashion accessory for its stewardesses, the bubble bonnet. Oh no! Designed by Emilio Pucci, the airline explained that the purpose of the bonnet was to protect the hair of the stewardesses from oh, wind and rain no. as they crossed the tarmac. Stewardesses, however, complained that it was hard to hear anyone, anyone while wearing it. Uh, I can just picture it because yeah. the 1960s, the the fashion was so, so insane. Please, right away, Google 1965. Bubble bonnet. Bubble bonnet. Yeah, definitely put airlines in your. Uh, okay. In your search. Oops, what did I do with it? Here we go. It was like a space oh, God. helmet. That oh my God, that's ridiculous! It's like a plastic fishbowl in their head. <laughs> What's the what hole for their earth? face? Yep, the bubble bonnet. Uh, stewardesses needed to keep their hair good. So, do you like it? 
If you want to wear one, hot. I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna bring that back. Yeah, please Google. You have to. You can't just Google Bubble Bonnet 1965. You have to write airlines or stewardess or something to get it. But this is actually a thing that happened. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to hear from anyone that remembers people wearing that at the airport. That's insane. That is. Uh, I love it. And then 1960s. um, And that's the extent of the happy stuff because on Tuesday, November 2nd, 1965, Mm -hmm. a man named. Norman Morrison committed suicide in protest of America's involvement in Vietnam. Oh, wow. Uh, Before a crowd, he sat himself on fire. He set himself on fire outside the Pentagon. Oh, my God. The Buddhist way to go. Mm -hmm, The same kind of way, like kind of copying the same thing. He was a Baltimore Quaker born in Erie, Pennsylvania. I didn't know that happened. Morrison graduated from the College of Worcester in 1956, and he was married and had two daughters and a son on November 2nd. He doused himself in kerosene and set himself on fire below the Secretary of Defense, Robert McNamara's Pentagon office. Oh, my God. Are there pictures? Oh, yeah. You can see him online. He took his daughter, Emily, then one year of age, to the Pentagon with him. Yeah. And he either set her down or handed her off to someone in the crowd before setting himself ablaze. However, Morrison's wife later recalled, whether he thought of it that way or not, I think having Emily with him was a final and great comfort to Norman. She was a powerful symbol of the children we were killing with our bombs and napalm who didn't have parents to hold them in their arms. So she witnessed her father? I know, yeah. But she was only she was only one. I know. So but... she had no idea what was going on, I don't think. In a letter he but mailed still... to his wife, Morrison reassured her of the faith in his act. Know that I love thee, but I must go help the children of the priest's village. Wow. McNamara described Morrison's death as a tragedy, not only for the family, but also for me and the country. It was an outcry against the killing that was destroying the lives of so many Vietnamese and American youth. He was survived by his wife, Ann Welsh, and three children, Ben, who died of cancer in 1977, Christina, and Emily. Uh, this This is all according to Wikipedia. Supporters portrayed Morrison as devout and sincere in sacrificing himself for a cause greater than himself. In Vietnam, Morrison quickly became a folk hero to some. Mm-hmm. Five days after Morrison died, the Vietnam poet To Hiru uh, wrote a poem, Emily, My Child, assuming the voice of Morrison addressing his daughter Emily and telling her the reasons for his sacrifice. That's so sad. Isn't that awful and yes. sad? It's real sad, but yeah, I mean, you think about this and... I mean, the war was awful and mm-hmm. sad yeah. and terrible. I mean, it, and people were feeling like they had no other way to stop it. Like, right? People must have been just. I mean, this is somebody with a family and kids. Yeah. And we always, I always think, oh, I can't be involved. I can't be right. protesting. I have a family. Yeah. He exactly. set himself on fire I because know. he was so passionate about ending this Vietnam War about nothing. Jesus. Um, North Vietnam named a Hanoi street after him and issued a postage stamp in his honor. Possession of that stamp was prohibited in the United States due to the U.S. embargo against North Vietnam. Oh, man. There's a road named after Morrison in Vietnam. But, yeah, that's crazy. And there's another one a couple days later we're going to talk about somebody else did the same thing. Did the same exact thing? Yeah, because it was like those monks kind of started started that. And that... And that became a trend. Like, mm-hmm. it's crazy that 
there's got to be other ways to protest other than setting yourself on fire, but that's got to get the attention of people. Like, yes. Oh, okay. This person's willing to burn to death yeah. in front of everyone. Can you imagine? I, for some reason, I can't imagine anybody doing that now. Like, I feel like our society has gotten so self-absorbed. Yeah, nobody would that no, sacrifice themselves. Nobody would go and light themselves on fire in America. And, and even if they did, nobody would look at it as a protest. They wouldn't be like, oh, that person was no, passionate. No, I think, I, 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 dis, I disagree. I think, I think it would be so shocking that it would jar everybody. Like, that, that act is so just, that's like the worst thing you could do. The worst I and think people would just say that person's insane. Mental health. I think it would be such a shock. I think I think you'd be surprised. Because mm, I think it'd have to be somebody important. Otherwise they would just sell it off as that person's got problems. Which you'd have to. Wouldn't you have to have some mental yes, illness to do that? I think, yes. So you so uh, or your I do think the the Buddhist monks Right. Where it was maybe a thing, a religious thing. Yeah. I mean, they have such a different. Mm-hmm. They're so way. selfless. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Like, what? I think to get anyone's attention, it'd have to be somebody like, I don't know, Ariana Grande or Justin what? Timberlake that or something. What? doesn't even make sense. Because nobody knows anybody else. That's all the people watch is like. No, but it would be a shocking thing. Pete Davidson. Somebody it would like be that. international news. Yeah. Anytime somebody does that, it's international news. I don't know. But at the same time, every time a police officer kills a black person, it's All right. Just... We don't have to. You're getting a little <laughs> off, key, off the you're, chart No, here. it's the same kind of stuff. Anyway, November 6th, Saturday, November 6th, 1965, we've got a new number one song on the Billboard chart. And I'm not going to play it anymore right. because we're we've ruined our podcast. But I'm going to read some lyrics <laughs> and see how quick it's a game. How okay. quick can Amy get this song from the lyrics? All right, go for it. Because I guarantee you, this is one of those songs you nobody knows any of the lyrics except for the the, re- the refrain. Jeez. Oh, every <laughs> once in a while, there's some people down the street that own like 18 Trans Ams. Muscle cars. Yep. <laughs> They're all Trans Ams. Yep, they are. Who owns a Trans Am anymore? But anyway. <laughs> Every time someone in that family comes home, we all hear the whole it. neighborhood hears it because they drive by, and our podcast hears it several times. So that's the Trans Am going by. Anyway, <laughs> November 6, 1965. You would think we live in the biggest white trash neighborhood in the world well, to say that somebody owns 18 Trans Am. It's just the one the house in the neighborhood. Yeah, it's only one house. Okay, November 6, 1965. Uh, this is a new number one song. Uh, I'm not going to tell you the group. I, I'm telling you, this is one of those songs that you know the hook, but I guarantee nobody okay. knows these words. Right. Okay, so quit building it up. If you, maybe you will. I live in an apartment on the 99th floor of my block. Wait, wait, wait! I know it. If you know it from that, on the 99th floor of my block. Dun, 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 dun. All right, give me one more. And I sit at home looking out the window. Imagining there's a world has stopped. That, yeah, has stopped. Then the in people upbraid. flies a guy who's all dressed up just like a Union just Jack. Just like a Union flag. Union Jack. Union Jack. And he says, I've won five pounds. If I have his kind of detergent pack, 
I know this song. I just, it's like, I can't get there. <laughs> that's what she said. I know. Yeah, that's what she said. Is it, um, it's uh, the Rolling Stones? Yeah, it is the Rolling Stones. And it's, uh, and it's. The second verse starts. Get to, off my cloud. Yes. That's what it is. Oh, thank God. I says, hey, you get off, off my, my cloud. cloud. Yep. I didn't know any Don't of the other words except that part. Don't around with the losing crowd off my cloud, baby. Don't hang around because two's a crowd. It's oh, actually, I it's think... not losing crowd. Okay. The telephone is ringing. I say, hi, it's me. Who is there on the line? A voice says, hi, hello, how are you? Well, I guess I'm doing fine. He says it's 3 a.m. Okay. There's too much noise. Don't you people ever want to go to bed? Just because you feel so good, do you have to drive me out of my head? Maybe the next verse says losing crowd, but I only have the first verse on there okay well, the stones have said that the song is a reaction to their suddenly greatly enhanced popularity and deals with their aversion to people's expectations of them after the success of satisfaction mm -hmm. richards commented get off my cloud was basically a response to people knocking on our door asking us for the follow-up to satisfaction we thought at last we can sit back and maybe think about events suddenly there's a knock at the door. Of course, what came out was, what came out of that was, get off my cloud. Yeah, like I'm up on cloud nine. Don't yeah. knock me off. In 1971, later, he said, I never dug it as a record. The chorus was a nice idea, but we rushed it as a follow-up. Uh, we were in L.A. Uh, and it was when we recorded or whatever, but he, he just said it was... He, he was like, stop bugging me, leave me alone, was the name of the song kind of thing, because people were bugging him to do a follow-up. I think it's a kind of a groovy song. Well, Keith Richards said you're an idiot for thinking that. Yeah, I guess he does. Keith Richards hates your guts, by the way. He's told me several times. He's written into the podcast. He always tweets us. He does? No, he doesn't tweet us. Come on, Keith Richards, if you're listening. I know. Get off your ass. Get off your ass and tweet Amy some hate tweets. Tweet at me. What's the matter, Keith Richards? You're afraid of us? Afraid of American timelines? Afraid of history <laughs> right. for jerks? All right, what's next? What's next is I'm hereby challenging Keith Richards to a thumb wrestling match and an arm wrestling match. And and one of those things where you, what's the match called where you put both. Put your wieners together? Yeah, where you both put your wieners in a Chinese finger how did trap. I know, how did I know you were going to say that? And then you, and then you kiss. What's that fight called? I think that's a... Uh... No, no, it's a fight. It's called two guys, but they put their wieners in a Chinese finger trap and then they kiss. Is. What's it called? What's that fight called? The two-eyed snake? The three-eyed turtle? The three-eyed... That's when you're pooping at the same time. That's pooping at the same time and holding hands? That's what me and Brendan Kane did? The three-eyed yeah, turtle. Like you're on Playhouse? I don't think no, that's what be, that is. It'd be the four-headed turtle because you'd have... Turtle head, turtle head. <laughs> <laughs> what is the thing called where Brendan Kane has no hair on his entire body except for his feet? It's called slippers. Yeah, his feet are slippers. Yep. Anyway, there's a name for a fight where two guys put their wieners in a Chinese finger trap and they kiss. There's, that's a fight. <laughs> that's a fight. There's a name for that fight. I can't remember. This is it's really... MMA. I think it's MMA. This has really gotten into a really anyway, high level. The same day, <laughs> anyway, the same day the Rolling Stones came out with it, they took over the number one spot of the Billboard charts with this song. The same day as your story, I think. Oh right, something. So we're going to jump right into your 
my bullshit. Your awful raping stories. No raping today. This, welcome to American Rapes. No, this is, our podcast. this is rape free today. It is? Yeah, rape free. Rape free podcast, y'all. Rape free, rape open free. Up your, open ooh, up your ooh. Pepsi One. We should get that. And beer. drink it down. People love that. Everybody loves <laughs> that. Get that sound I can get it. I'll download it and then put it, add it in, in post. All right. So I'm going to talk about the the um, mysterious death of fa- of famous gossip columnist Dorothy Kilgallen. Dorothy Kilgallen. Dorothy Kilgallen, as uh, Google pronounces Dorothy Kilgallen. Well, just in- intro the insert the. Yeah. I'm going to talk about the famous murder of columnist Dorothy Kilgallen. <laughs> So I got a this. I'm basing this from a um, most of it from a really good article in Midwest Today by Sarah Jordan. Midwest Today is a magazine. I think it might just be an online one. It's a periodical. Okay, I'm going to read the the intro of this article. During her 35 year career as a gossip columnist, crime reporter, and panelist on the weekly TV game show, What's My Line? What's my line? Dorothy Kilgallen was a fearless journalist who broke major stories and was the only reporter to interview Lee Harvey Oswald's killer, Jack Ruby. Boom. Her biggest case yet, investigating President John F. Kennedy's assassination and finding fault with the official story, became the last one she ever pursued. Wow. She died mysteriously in November 1965 after being threatened, but the cops never probed further. Okay. They haven't even anal probed? No. I I think this, I don't even know what this is, but it already sounds like it's another one of these conspiracy JFK things. It might be. There's all the, I mean, all these things we are all connected. They're to all JFK. Connected. Everything's connected in 1965. Yeah. Was the lady whose apartment was on fire where her whole torso was burned away? Yeah, was, that, that was 65? all part of it. Remember? Yeah, and we talked about that yeah. earlier a couple episodes ago. Yes. And that's, we think it's connected, man. We're uncovering something. American Timelines is gripping and groundbreaking. Between this? We're finding, we're uncovering things. Between this and that 1980s Toledo cult that you uncovered? We are uncovering, we are, we are. Carloites? What, what are those bur- journalists that uh, find stuff called? Investigative journalists? We're investigative journalists. We are. We are yep. uncovering. Okay. We are bringing to light we are like hannibal burris we're the hannibal burris of podcasters okay remember he was joking about bill cosby and now bill cosby's in jail for raping okay honey all right so dorothy kilgallen was born in chicago on july 3rd 1913 july 3rd 1913 (laughs) the same day that uh the that was the 50th anniversary of pickett's charge a turning point in the battle of gettysburg in the american civil war and so uh, it was reenacted by survivors of the original battle. Oh, my so it was God. 50 years after the Civil War. And and there was a lot of people that were concerned. They were like, uh, so they actually got. That's uh, weird. They got soldiers from the North and the South. Why would together. V- veterans of a real war want to reenact it? Like veterans of real wars come back and they're like. Oh. Sh- they're like shell shocked. Right. Normally they would. and But because we're all in the same country now. I think that's why it's different. So people had concerns that there might be unpleasant differences between the blue and the gray. Yeah. Um, but the peaceful reunion was 
uh, repeatedly marked by events of Union Confederate camaraderie. That's bizarre. Like people got along really well. President Woodrow Wilson's July 4th reunion address summarized the spirit. And he says, we have found one another again as brothers and comrades in arms, uh, enemies no longer, generous friends rather. Our battles long past, the quarrel forgotten, except that we shall not forget the splendid valor. Hmm. Isn't that weird? That's really weird. So that same day that that was happening? Yes, that was when she was born. She was born um, that day. She graduated in 1930. She got her first taste of journalism around that time. Taste? Was that a delicious taste? Yes, and she became, became a crime reporter when she was 17. Oh, wow, that's pretty good. She, yes, she... Um, crime reporter? She, she must be a true crime found hero. out that in, in 1936 that two newspapers were sending reporters in a race around the world. And so she convinced her newspaper where she was working to send her as well. Okay. And so she became the first woman to fly around the world. Oh. Because all the reporters were all men. Like she was pioneering as that a reporter. Is, that's, you know what? This is a perfect person to cover for a little something called Nevertheless She Existed. That's oh, a podcast that's right. you should listen to. Mm-hmm. And it's a live show that's coming to Charlotte December 13th. But it'll be by the time this airs, it'll be It'll be past. over with. Yep. So uh, by November 1937, she started working for the New York Journal. Okay. And then she um, ended, she started her own column okay. called The Voice of Broadway. And it was the social the elite. It was Broadway. all about famous people. Mm-hmm. Um it was like a gossip column. Gossip column, yeah. In 1940, she married actor Richard Colmer. Okay. Uh, the wedding had 800 guests, including wow. Ethel Merman and Milton Berle. Ethel Merman? So you know you in Can you do a little style. Ethel, Ethel Merman impression? Um, you'll be swell. You'll be great. <laughs> That's pretty good. I'm going to have the whole world on a plate. And if that... <laughs> If you ever know, if you've ever known a man who can do a real good Ethel Merman impression that also owns a theater company, you can guess he's probably gay. Yes, I think anyway. so. Okay. So anyway. Um, Not that there's anything wrong with that. So they had three children, Jill, Richard, and Carrie. Okay. By 1950, her column was running in 146 papers. That's pretty good. Um, she would cruise the night spots Whoa. New York with hydraulics like on the her stork car? club the Copacabana Copa, she would pick Copa up tidbits Cabana. she would write them on the matchbook and toss them in her purse tidbits little, little snippets of gossip here and there oh that's how she did that, okay that's how, that, she, that's how she did so she held she had politicos and celebrities and wits and movie stars they all came and wanted to pay so, homage to her. It sounds like you're you're describing someone who men wanted to be with and women wanted to be. Yeah, that's probably that's close. Yeah. Right. She was real strong. Right. And she that same year you mean she physically strong? Like no, she like a lot? she was a strong woman. Strong personality. Yes. Women's lips. She didn't take no shit. Ain't taking shit from nobody. So that same year, she became a regular panelist on the new game show, What's My Line? Which is what any strong woman would do. And she stayed on there. She was on there for 15 years. So she was just like a regular. She was like uh, Paul Lind on the Hollywood Squares or whatever. Well, how, how? She was... She was pretty with it on that. Wow. All right, so. Okay, that's cool. She became, Anybody who's a regular on a game show 
is okay in my book. Jim J. Bullock, you hear? Yeah, yeah. He was on the Hollywood Squares too, wasn't he? Jim J. Bullock, y'all. He was on the newer Hollywood. Is the Hollywood Squares still on? I I heard a rumor that they're bringing back a new one. And Why the, would they do that? You know, because Jim J. Bullock was the Paul Lind. Yes, and, and Madam, remember Madam on there? That puppet. Kind of. With a big chin. Yeah. Yeah. Looked like Steven Tyler. Yeah, and I remember Bruce Valanche. Yes, Bruce Valanche was on there. Uh, but who would be today's Hollywood Square? Who would be the Jim J. Bullock, uh, Paul Lynn Square? I don't even know because I don't watch TV. Like, who's the fo- most famous gay guy right now? Is there like a funny gay guy? Pete that's Buttigieg. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. He's the most famous gay guy right well, now. Oh yeah, but I mean, like the most famous, like funny gay guy, like. Randy Rainbow, maybe, or who's the guy on? Randy Rainbow would be great on Hollywood Squares. But I don't think I still think there's a lot of people that don't know who he is. Oh yeah, it'd have to be like, oh, who's the guy from the fish? Uh, what are you talking about? The fish, fish one, concert, one fish in a window, movie, Nathan Lane. Oh yeah, one fish in a window. I think he's what is that's not a movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyway. anyway. So she became the most famous columnist in America. And she was on Hollywood Squares. And so they moved into this big townhouse, five stories. Five stories? And on Park what? Avenue. Whoa, on Park Avenue? Yes. If so, you've ever played Monopoly, you know that's expansive. That's correct. But not everybody was equally enamored with Dorothy. Uh-oh. Frank Sinatra carried on a public feud with her. Oh, Frank Sinatra connected to the mafia she, he would call her in his las vegas act he would call her the chinless wonder whoa that's she, harsh she would she responded by re- reminding everybody of his mob ties he does have mob ties that's exactly what i was gonna say she also was sued I think I did say sued for seven hundred thousand dollars by a female white house reporter oh who she had referred with a blind item in her column but she didn't name her she just everybody knew it was her yes was probably only one female yes and so was it the one who died the one who just recently died like she's been doing it forever no that lady what was her name oh i can't remember that i know you're talking about that real old lady who was that it's on the tip of my tongue but um so um, she looked like a gungan yep so she covered a, also covered a bunch of famous murder cases and she helped a man accused of killing his four-month pregnant wife gain a new trial oh, and his name was good. dr sam shepherd and DNA Not evidence. The Sam Shepard. No, but doctor. He. This is a He's famous a murder case. Oh. But um, DNA evidence later cleared him. In oh, it, so and she helped that helped, happen. Yeah, wow, that's yeah. noble. And um, to be proud of. 1959 and 1960, she wrote a lot of anti anti Castro articles. Yeah, Castro was not popular. And she became the first reporter to imply that the CIA was working with organized crime to knock off Castro. Which we covered. Right, Heavily but these like of all episodes. of these. I'm I'm telling you all these things because because th- you love me. Yes, and be- oh, yes, you're and. ridiculous. Improv because <laughs> I'm not ridiculous because they all make it kind of tenuous to be her. So what you're saying is there's she has not there's some enemy she may have made exactly. These are possible motives, motives. for murdering her. Right. So the, so she didn't just accidentally die no okay so the fbi had been surveilling her since the 1930s that stands for federal bureau of investigations 
And they then tried to dig up more dirt on her. With a shovel? There was an internal memo mm -hmm. to director J. Edgar Hoover dated September 15th, 1959. Oh, September 15th, 1959. That memo was dated the same day that Fibber, McGee, and Molly was on? It was... Uh, it was the finest husband and wife comedy team. It ran on the radio from 1935 to 1959, then oh switched God. to television in 1959 with running gags and characters that inspired many imitators. What did people do before the radio? Masturbate. <laughs> they must have, just all day. Everyone just masturbated each other. Also, all the right. same day that Soviet premier Nikita Khrushchev arrives in the U.S. to begin a 13-day visit? Yes. That same day? Yes. Um, this memo yeah. stated that... Oh, hold it. Hold it. What? Sorry. You're going to love this. This is also September 15th, 1959. This memo came out Yes. also the same day of the Poe Elementary School attack. Oh, what's that? At Houston's Edgar Allan Poe Elementary, a man set off a suitcase bomb at a playground, killing himself, a teacher, a custodian, and three children, including oh his own son. Nineteen other children and the principal were hospitalized. Paul Harold Orgeron had brought in a seven-year-old son minutes earlier to enroll him in the second grade. That same day that that Holy happened? Holy shit, you didn't tell me about that. I just did tell you about that. You could, I could have done that one. Well, well, that was 1959, so you can do that in the 1959. Oh, that's That'd be, true. be one of your Duh, what am I saying? Murders. yeah. Yep, okay. That same day this happened? The memo? So the memo stated that Dorothy and her husband had their own private lives, that he had been dating other women, and he was interested in both sexes, oh, and he had his own my. private apartment. Um, And so then... As, that's that's got to be rare for 1965, I would right, say. Right, yeah. Um, like, nobody talks about being... Like, you couldn't even... That was not Well, accepted. he was probably gay. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he was gay. And they and he had to get married. Married, yeah. yeah. So she started a long-term passionate affair with singer Johnny Ray, who was 14 years younger than her. Oh, a singer, Johnny Ray? Yeah. Did you know who that is? No. Oh. <laughs> Sounds familiar, though, doesn't it? If you are a listener and you're familiar with Johnny Ray's music and you still listen to it, maybe There's something wrong with you. Maybe update your yeah. Uh, maybe update your musical collection. So then, on August third, nineteen thirty-two, I mean nineteen sixty-two. <laughs> like nineteen sixty-two. Yeah. Oh, the same day that uh, Chet Hunley reporting was on. Chet Hunley died of lung cancer in nineteen seventy-four, but also the same day that. <laughs> Tusco, a 14-year-old male Indian elephant at the Oklahoma City Zoo, was injected with 270 milligrams of the hallucinogen LSD in an experiment by researchers at the University of Oklahoma to simulate mushth, the uh, periodic condition of aggressive behavior and rage by male elephants. But Tusco collapsed five minutes after the injection and died less than two hours later that same day. I don't even know what you just said. It was something about LSD. They injected an elephant with LSD as a te as a test, and he died in two hours. That's terrible. That same day, also the same day that JFK made the decision. But you know, there's nobody's. No, they have never had nothing has ever died from LSD overdose, except this elephant. I don't think it. I don't think it must have been something else because I just was listening to a podcast about LSD, and and they said that nothing. There's never been a death. Like, Except this elephant who was injected in 270 milligrams of it. 
You know, my guess maybe. President JFK made the decision on the same day to break ties with singer Frank Sinatra after his brother, U.S. Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy, delivered him a report detailing Sinatra's connections with organized crime. Now listen to this part of it. Sinatra reportedly was so enraged by JFK's decision to no longer visit the singer's home in Palm Springs, California, that he took a sledgehammer and personally destroyed a landing pad built to accommodate visits by the presidential helicopter, Marine One. Do you see him out there hammering? Sinatra was a nut. I guess. Yeah, he was... That's crazy. Not a nice man. He's a crazy person. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yes, on that day, um, she had a column where she talked about um, Marilyn Monroe's relationship with with a Kennedy. Oh. And within 48 hours, Marilyn Monroe was found dead of a drug overdose. 48 hours of that column? Yes. Oh, no. And she might be responsible for her being murdered. Yeah, or debt or suicide. Oh, no. Whatever. Oh, poor thing. So Dorothy publicly challenged the authorities with tough questions. She she was asked, you know, why was Marilyn's bedroom such a mess? Because she had this housekeeper living with her. Um, mm-hmm. Why was her door locked that night when she didn't usually lock it? Why yeah. was the light on? Yeah. Usually people It was slept suspicious for sure. In the dark. Because she was involved with JFK and Sinatra and right. the mafia yeah. and all of this. Yeah. Man, everything in the 1960s were a conspiracy. It was either civil rights, like KKK. Yeah. Malcolm X was murdered, just got murdered. Or it was um, JFK, it has to do with JFK or Castro or Vietnam or oh, all kinds of mafia. Stuff. Just think about it. If everybody wasn't on LSD at this time, maybe we'd know what happened. <laughs> That's true. All right. So Every time I ask um, my mom, hey, mom, what happened in 1965? I don't know. We're all on LSD. <laughs> no idea. So then, November 22nd, 1963, is when Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, Texas. November 2nd. 22nd. Oh, 22nd. Yeah, we talked about that. We did. And Dorothy was devastated by this. She knew She, she knew him. Be. She should she be. Had, she had um, met him and, and everything. And, and she immediately started asking questions of the authorities. Asking questions. Then she wrote a lead story yeah. um, in her paper where she reported that Jack Ruby... Policeman J.D. Tippett, who's the policeman that was shot by Lee Harvey Oswald when he was trying to escape. Oh, J.D. Tippett, I forgot about and him. And Bernard Wiseman had a meeting at Ruby's Carousel Club eight days before JFK's murder. Who did? Jack Ruby, that yeah. policeman that, oh, and, that Oswald and that shot. that guy, yeah. And, that, and Bernard They Wiseman. all had a meeting and she reported it? Yeah. Uh-oh, And it she was dead. eight days before she the murder. Dead. She can't print that stuff. So in the midst of all this reporting on the kennedy case she met a man who was to intrigue her the last months of her life he helped her on some of her jfk stories but then he was ultimately that he would come under suspicion of having been involved in her death and his name was ron pataki ron pataki and you, you have to say it like that don't you ron pataki ron pataki i'm ron pataki so ron first I'm met suspicious. dorothy in june of 1964 and he was 29 years old. He was this ladies' man. Ladies' um, man, Ron Pataki. But, but he says it wasn't a love affair. It was strictly platonic. Strictly physical. Is what he says now about oh, it. Platonic. Which I bet is a bunch of no, bullshit. No, because that dude banged in, everything he saw. Well, and they would be in the, sa- like in the same hotel all the time. And so... Plus, he knew how to... So... 
please? There was another... um, Like Brian McCartney. He would say that they were just friends and there was nothing going on, but um, her, 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 one of her hairdressers named Mark Sinclair, Mark he says... Sinclair was her hairdresser? One of them. Yeah, he was her, her chief hairdresser and confidant. He was confidant her chief hairdresser. And confidant. And, and confidant. That's how it was in the 60s. Well, if you can't confide in your hairdresser, who can you confide in, bro? I mean, hairdressers were really important to women in, this, in the 60s. Well, I'm sure. Yeah. Are they now still? They're still now, right? I mean, you don't really confide deep, dirty secrets. Famous people probably do. Yeah, that's true. So he says that one Sunday night in February of 1965, as he was doing her hair... You mean February? Um, her married daughter, Jill, came by and confronted her. Yeah. She was really angry. She, oh, she Jill mentioned, was very angry? Yes. She mentioned Ron Pataki by name oh, and said that her mother was going out with this man and sleeping with him all over town. Oh, sleeping with him all over town. And then she stormed out and Dorothy started crying. So that was when he realized that they were probably having an affair. They were having sex. So You don't, have, you don't just hang out with the best looking guy in town. You bone him. Then on September 25th, 1964. Oh, the same day that on the Adams family, Morticia and Gomez seek professional help after Pugsley starts displaying normal childhood behavior and interests. Also, in a, a secondary story, Lurch and Uncle Fester play Mushy Cookie. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's really what yes. they did. The same day. And Lurch won. Yeah, I would think he would. Um so she ran, ran an interview with one of the witnesses to the shooting of Officer Tippett. Remember J.D. Tippett? Yeah. She would what? She ran. She ran. She, she had an interview that ran. Oh, right. With one with of the, the witnesses. Yeah, one of the witnesses. Good. Boom. Um, Putting it out and, there. And this and was a witness. Gonna, yeah. This was a witness the Warren Commission never questioned. Oh, this is dangerous. She's in dangerous territory. It's weird for a gossip columnist to like delve into this dangerous territory. And the witness told her that she saw two men running from the scene, neither of whom fit Oswald's description. What? See, I knew it. Yes. So one of the biggest scoops of her career came when she obtained the 102-page transcript of Ruby's testimony to the Warren Commission. Is she is she portrayed in the JFK movie? And I don't think. Because it seems like they're missing a big chunk. Like, this is a big... Maybe she might be. She might be. I can't remember. We've got to watch that 19-hour movie sometime. I know. I Yeah. We've got to set aside some time. Like, take some... Leaves like of we, absences from our jobs. Yeah, and then to like, sit and watch JFK. Yeah. So she, um, she, she published, a, you know, the the report, and readers were shocked at how inept the questioning of Ruby was by Chief Justice Warren. Really. And by Warren's failure to follow up on leads Ruby was feeding him. Yeah. So the FBI sent agents to Dorothy's townhouse to interrogate her. Ooh. They're they're closing in. I there's I just I have to say this every time we say townhouse it makes me want those townhouse crackers. <laughs> so surprisingly, Jack Ruby agreed to have an interview with her. Okay. And she Wait, Jack Ruby decided. Yeah. To? Oh my so god. So she got this an interview getting, with him. This is getting good. This is getting. I'm on the edge of my seat. Yeah. This, she, this was a good story, I think. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So she has this interview with Jack Ruby, right. and she she has, um, she wrote all these notes, but. Never published them. Oh, and um, somebody threatened her. Ron Pataki said that he she was saving it for a book. 
So she had this. Tacky don't know shit. She had a. She was under contract at Random House. Okay. And oh, maybe to produce a book okay. that was it was supposed to be this collection of stories about different murder trials she'd covered, but okay. instead, Ron Pataki would say it was going to be about the entire assassination. Okay, Pataki do know some shit. I'm sorry, I'm sorry Pataki and family. So that's that's ex- explosive. That's potentially yeah, that's, explosive. That's huge. That's, that's a huge she, book. She's like knowing as famous as she is for oh, the yeah. time. Yeah. So her last public reference to J- the JFK assassination appeared on September 3rd, 1965. Oh, September 3rd, 1965. You're telling me that happened the same day that Charlie Sheen was born. Oh, I thought he was already. He was born as Carlos Irwin Estevez in New York City. Didn't we already talk about him being born? We did. Because you're now you you just you, we're in oh, 1965 right. now and you're almost oh, caught up right. to what actually happened. Her died. Good. I thought so, for a minute I was going crazy. No, you are going crazy for yes, me that's and my true. bod. But <laughs> but let's go back into Carlos Irwin Estevez's career. No, uh, Charlie Sheen. We don't <laughs> he was need born to. in New York City. No, also, the same day that. that the earliest known skateboard park opened in Tucson, Arizona. Yes. So she challenged the authenticity of the famous life magazine cover of lee harvey oswald holding that rifle yeah you know that picture uh yeah she authentic she she didn't she doesn't believe didn't believe that that was real right and so um there have been analysts since then that have discredited that analysts or analysts analysts anal 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 analysts. Anal analysts. Yes. That they they said they, that his head was pasted on someone else's body in that picture. Really? So she was right. Well, that, ooh, hold on. Yeah, yeah. Stop turning off your microphone. I'm trying to adjust this stupid fucking thing. Hey, don't use the f word, please, on uh, a podcast. This is a family fucking podcast. Okay. So anyway, um, where was I? In October, Dorothy confided to what's my line makeup man carmen jebbia you know what it's the it's the hair and I makeup know people is. that know everything trust she, them he trust said them. that she said she was all excited about going to new orleans Narlands? to meet a source who a she did not know but would recognize oh, oh. she said it was very cloak and daggerish Wow. And it would yield details about the assassination. Now you remember that Deeps. New Orleans thing. New Orleans was big. That was, that was the whole thing of that yes. uh, other guy that was murdered. That, that burning yeah. torso. That's right. This we're uncovering things. We are. It we is. are. It really we is. We are journalists. We are mystery journalists solving problems yep. or something. So um, she said, "If it's the last thing I do, I'm going to break this case." Oh man, and it probably was the last thing she did. So Mark, you know I'm Mark Sinclair, we're back to the hairdresser. Yeah. He said that in October 1965, she had hired him to meet her in New Orleans. Yeah. He said, she didn't tell me why we were going. She just told me how I was to travel, where I was to go, and what I was to do. Okay. We didn't even travel on the same plane together. All right. Very specific instructions. And so he, the next morning, he was supposed to go do her hair and makeup. Mm-hmm. And she calls him at the hotel and says, I want you to go to the airport. Uh-oh. I've left a ticket for you, and I want you to go immediately back to New York and never tell anyone you came to New Orleans with me. Uh-oh. That's fucking menacing. So somebody... That's alarming. Uh, somehow she got spooked. Something happened. Yeah. So her other hairdresser, Charles Simpson, recalls that she even told me of her own volition... I used to share things with you, but after I have found out now what I know, if the wrong people knew what I know, it would cost me my life. Yes, yeah, so I don't want to hurt you. Yeah, I don't want you to know. Yes. Oh, my gosh. 
So Sinclair said that Dorothy Kilgallen called him on Saturday, November 6th, 1965, her final weekend alive. So again, that's the same day that that Rolling Stone song becomes number one. Also, the same day that The Loner starring Lloyd Bridges was on about a wandering ex-soldier encountering various problems wherever he visits in his travels. Also, the same day that the Italian luxury ocean liner Raffaello arrived in Genoa with 56 injured passengers six days after a fire had crippled the ship in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean that oh, same day. that's harrowing. Yes. Um, she called him, yep. and she told him her life had been threatened. Yep. Um, and she, she was, she said that this... Threatened, but she didn't say who, by who. No, she didn't. Um, she said that, that information was getting out of yep. what she knew. Oh my gosh. And huge conspiracy. she was concerned where people were getting this information from. And Sinclair, the hairdresser's like, it's gotta be Pataki. That's that's the only new person in your life. It might be. So um that final Sunday night before What's My Line aired, Mark Sinclair did Dorothy's hair at her home. She was subdued, but no more than usual, he says. She was tired. Sinclair said she'd ask me if I wanted to meet her later, but I said no. Right. So she said she was going to go home after the show. Okay. After the show, she was observed getting into her Cadillac limousine alone. Yep. Apparently, she was going to meet Bob Bach, who was a What's My Line producer, for a quick What's drink. What's My Line producer, Bob Bach? She was probably, you think they were intimate? No, they did that all the time. Oh, they just drank. They're they just went to drinkers. a after the show. They would go for a drink. Yeah, makes sense. He um, confirmed that she ordered her usual vodka tonic. Okay. She told Bob okay. that she had a late date. Uh oh. So then he walked her to the car under yeah. the impression she was going to go meet Ron Pataki. Ron Pataki, a late sex date, y'all. But pa nobody leaves Ron Pataki without banging him. But Pataki denies he was there and even oh. in New York at all. At the time. Huh. So at, huh. at 1 a.m., press agent Harvey Daniels ran into Dorothy in the Regency Bar. Yeah. He described her as being in good spirits. At 1 a.m.? Yep. Then Kurt Meyer, the piano player, said that Dorothy was still in the lounge in good spirits when he got off work at 2 a.m. Huh. And he said she was with a man. But didn't know who it was. No. We don't know if it's Ron Pataki. Right. Dave Spiegel, the manager of the Western Union office, said that she called about 2.20 in the morning. She sounded great, as usual. She said, good morning, Mr. Spiegel. This is Dorothy Kilgallen. Would you send a message over to the house to pick up my column and take it to the Journal American? I'll leave it in the regular place in the door. So that's something that they usually did. Yeah, sounds like a normal thing that she did. So... um she had an appointment with Mark Sinclair to do her hair that morning, Monday, November 8th, 1965. Yeah. He arrived at her house about 8.45 in the morning. He used his key, let himself in, and went upstairs. He went to the small dressing room on the third floor where she had her hair done. Third he said when, she, when, she, when he got there, she wasn't in the room, but the air conditioning was on, and it was winter yeah, and that's cold weird. outside. So he turned on his curling irons, and then he walked into the adjacent bedroom. Yeah. And um, she, not thinking that she's going to be there, because even though it was officially the master bedroom, it was, um, it, it, she slept on the fifth floor. She never, that wasn't the bedroom she used. That wasn't the bedroom anybody used. Okay. So he finds her, though, 
sitting up in bed. Yeah. He walks over to the bed and touches her, and he knew she was dead right away. Oh, no. The bed was spotless, and she was dressed very peculiarly. That word is hard to say. Oh, peculiarly. Peculiar. Peculiar. I can't say peculiar. Yeah. So. That's peculiar. Peculiar. It's hard to say. Peculiar. Peculiar. I can't say peculiar. Peculiar. There you go. All right. So she was, um, she would always normally would wear pajamas and old socks and her makeup would be off and and her hair would be off. Sounds hot. Because she had a wig on. Right. And everything. But this time she wasn't dressed like that. Is what you're this saying. time she was completely dressed like she was going out. Yeah. Her hair was in place and the makeup right. was on. The false eyelashes were on. That ain't right. But she was wearing this ma- matching peignoir and robe. What's a peignoir? It's like a nighty. It's like oh. a silky, satiny nighty. I. And he said she would never Peculiar. go to bed with that on. And he said there was a book laid out on the bed, but it was turned upside down. It wasn't in the right position for for if she'd been reading it. And she needed glasses to read, but there weren't any glasses found in the oh, room. Oh, that ain't right. There was a drink on the table. The light was on. The air conditioning was on. And she was always cold normally. Mm. And strangely, she was in the middle of the bed, beyond easy reach of the nightstand. Uh, rigor mortis had set on the right hand. And oh, wait, full rigor? Full rigor. Had full set. rigor, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> um. And it had drawn up the covers a little bit. Um, so Sinclair left the residence without knowing what was what happened. I would be running out, pooping my pants. He um, he didn't call the authorities or anything. He w- yes, well he called. Um, hold on, he called some other guy to come. Rick Moranis? The butler. The butler. He called the butler and he said, "I'm unable to wake Miss Kilgallen. Could you please come up?" And he ran up the stairs. He could hear him. He came to the front stairs and ran like he was really excited. Ran and screaming. And so he left the residence. But he said when he got outside, there was a police car out front with two cops in it. They didn't pay him any attention. They weren't like there for her. They had just happened to be there, uh, which is weird. Doesn't seem right. Um, her husband, 11-year-old son, and the son's tutor, who slept in the townhouse that night, claimed they heard nothing strange. Why did her son's tutor sleep in the townhouse? Well, because it was a mansion, apparently. Yeah, I guess anybody could just stay over. Yeah. Um, but that morning, there was this woman who was the managing editor of a couple of movie magazines named Mary Brunham received this bizarre phone call. The phone on her desk rang, and when she answered, a voice said, Dorothy Kilgallen has been murdered. And then they hung up. And then she put on the radio and heard the news after she got that phone call. Whoa. So that's weird. That's weird. How is that? 10,000 people attended Dorothy's funeral. 10,000? Yep. Um, the medical examiner said she died from acute barbiturate and alcohol intoxication, circumstances undetermined, which was a, not a common phrase for his office to use. An autopsy showed that she was in very good health otherwise, and there was no evidence of heart attack. She did have a bruise on her right shoulder. The police, though, even though the death was listed as undetermined, they never bothered to try and determine them. In 1968, um, they tried to use some newly available technology to analyze tissue samples. Yeah. They had retained from Kilgallen's autopsy as well as the glass from her nightstand. Right. And the glass had traces of Nembutal on it. 
but but it was not the same as what was found in her blood. Really? So that's weird. Huh. Then the tissue samples um, had, there was a deadly mix of three powerful barbiturates in her brain, cecobarbital, amobarbital, and penobarbital. Um, it makes me hungry for barbital. Her JFK notes were never found. Oh, like see? A, um, man, and we'll never know what happened with all this. So, yeah, what man in Dorothy's life was so important and knew her so well that he could call her at home on a Sunday night just before she left for the TV show and make a late date with her, for which she rushed to change her wardrobe at the last minute? Must be J. Edgar Hoover. Could be. Or... But she obviously knew the man Lyndon at the hotel. Or she wouldn't have sat so close to him yeah. when she was there. Um, why didn't anybody ever come forth and, and admit that that he was that was he was the guy that was with her? I don't know. And since it was estimated that she died between two and four a.m., that really leaves only an hour and a half for her to have been become intoxicated. Yeah, that's not right. And since the barbiturates found in her system take a half hour to an hour to start working. Um, it, this implies she consumed them between 2.30 and 3 a.m. The authorities should have pinned down her whereabouts at that time, but they didn't. They didn't bother to do anything. Huh. Her favorite mixed drink, which was vodka tonic. Vodka tonic. We talked about it that. It contains quinine, and quinine has been used by murderers to disguise the bitter taste of barbiturates. Oh. So if someone slipped her a Mickey, she might not. A Mickey. No. Quinine, huh? Yep. Never heard of it. The Regency was seven blocks from her townhouse, but nobody knows how she got home. Nobody. It makes sense she would have gone to her dressing room and removed her dress because she had a big closet there. So it's plausible that maybe she decided to lay down on the nearest bed, like maybe she would, had gotten drunk. Yeah, she was so tired. So she tired. just said, lay down on the nearest bed. That doesn't seem Maybe right. she f even felt hot from the alcohol, so she turned on the AC. Um, yeah, or the barbiturates. But why would she have first put on clothes she didn't normally wear and then grab a book to read without her eyeglasses. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like stuff that once she was dead, somebody put her there. Right. And set all that stuff up. That's right. So the best evidence so to suggest smart. that several drugs were found in her blood were not self-administered is that only one drug was they found on the glass. They probably the AC on to like, let's make sure it doesn't stink That's what I was thinking. Yeah, Slow down true. the decomposition. Yeah. Um. So, the what I was saying is that the the evidence that the all of those drugs that were found in her system, yeah, the only one found on the glass wasn't found in her system. Yeah, yeah. And so, so maybe they had multiple drugs they were putting in her, and then they were like, "Well, we don't even need this one; she's already dead." Right. Because if if she had really had sleep sleeplessness, why wouldn't she have first taken off of her eyelashes and her wig and gotten comfortable before taking a, a whole nice, bunch of barbiturates or maybe even had a nice glass of warm milk and, or a nice glass of shut the hell up well and remember when she, she talked about marilyn monroe's death she said if she was just trying to get to sleep and took the overdose of pills accidentally why was the light on usually people sleep better in the dark okay and dorothy's light was on so some by the same people that killed marilyn and jfk and ruby and Everybody else and that torso lady. Yep. It's all connected, man. It's all connected. So, Everything's connected. Also, Marla Gibbs from 227 went to the same school as Herbie Hancock. It's all connected. Could be. 
So um, her husband, Dick Colmer, told inconsistent stories to the police. No shit. In one version, he, involved? he claimed that Dorothy had returned from What's My Line at 11.30 p.m. feeling chipper that she went in to write her column and he had said goodnight and gone to bed. Dorothy's um, inquiry into Jack Ruby's ties to the mob and her relentless exploration of the warrant reports gross inadequacies threatened to expose dark secrets that powerful people did not want revealed. Huh. The FBI perceived her exposés as enough of a threat that they monitored her closely. Expose is a great band. The CIA had 53 field offices around the world watching her on her foreign travels. Yeah, that's something going on. Yeah, the government killed her. Done. Solved. I mean, when you hear the CIA... They're going to come after us for revealing this, probably. They probably are. Well, they probably don't care anymore about this, right? Anytime you hear the CIA's involved, it's like some people were murdered. There's something going on. People were murdered and or accidentally dosed with LSD. Yeah, like an elephant. Yep. And that's the murder of, or the mis mysterious death of Dorothy Kilgallen. Yeah, maybe she just took all the drugs. Maybe that's it. So, because that was so long, we're going to have to move fast to get through the year. Yes, so let's do it. I'm going to have to take my microphone out of its holder because of this. <laughs> uh, November, Sunday, November 7th, 1965, the uh, Pillsbury Doughboy was created by Rudy Purs, a copywriter for Pillsbury's longtime advertising agency. It's a pretty Leo clever, Burnett. clever thing. Yeah. Uh, and here's how he created it. Purs was sitting in his kitchen in the early spring of 65 under pressure to create an advertising campaign for Pillsbury's refrigerated dough products. Uh, and his copywriter, Carol H. Williams, imagined a living doughboy popping out of a Pillsbury Crescent Rolls can and wrote the campaign, Say Hello to Poppin' Fresh Dough. Now, originally, he was named Jonathan Pillsbury. The doughboy is given a scarf, a chef's hat, and two big blue eyes to distinguish him from the rolls, as well as blush and a soft, warm chuckle when poked in the stomach. The doughboy was originally designed by Milt Schaefer and brought to life using stop-motion clay animation. I bet he looked jacked up when they first made Today's him. Today's CGI is used. Here's the here's the audio from the commercial. I bet I bet he looks so jacked up. Like early versions of everything are always jacked up. Yeah, no, unfortunately, he doesn't like go, hee-hee, in that one. Yeah. And it doesn't look that creepy. I mean, it looks about the same. Uh, now they use CGI, but... Uh, it's not like claymation or something? It is claymation. It's, okay. It's brought to life by stop-motion claymation, which I had just said before I played oh, that. Sorry. If you were listening... Um, mind wandered. Well, they originally wanted him to be animated, but Purrs changed his mind after seeing a stop-motion titling technique using the opening credits for the Dinosaur Show. A three-dimensional doughboy puppet was then created at a cost of $16,000. For and, a puppet? Yep, and voice actor Paul Fries was chosen to be Fresh's voice. Uh, and then they hired a stop-motion animator named George Powell. Uh, but uh, actor uh, Paul Fries, who was the voice, yes, uh, died in 1986. Did he do the voice the whole time? Yeah, until 1986, and then Jeff Bergman took over. And today, the high-pitched giggles are done by Joby Cerny. But Freeze, who died, he died in his home on November 2nd, oh, 1986, Christ. from a self-administered overdose of pain medication. 
The cause of death on his death certificate is listed as suicide. So the guy who played the Pillsbury Doughboy's voice guy killed himself. Jeez. Yeah, I don't know why that's funny, but it's just like just to know yeah. that. I and from now on, anytime I'm in an elevator with a stranger, I'm gonna say that. <laughs> I'm gonna tell Did him you that. know? Did you know the guy who played the Pillsbury Doughboy's voice killed himself? All right, what's next? Wednesday, November tenth, nineteen sixty five, Roger Allen Laporte is best known as a protester of the Vietnam War who set himself on fire in front of the United Nations building so in New York City guy. on November 9th, 1965 to protest the United States involvement in the Vietnam War. A former seminarian, he was, 22 year old, he was a 22-year-old member of the Catholic Worker Movement at the time of his death. A young Catholic worker named Tom Cornell in 1960 became known for burning his draft card. Yeah. And... Uh, and a lot of people did that. They yeah. started burning their draft cards as a as protest. An act. Yeah. But um, New Yorker New York hecklers started shouting, "Burn yourselves, not your cards!" So three days later, in front of the Dag Hammarskjöld Library at the United Nations in New York, Laporte composed himself in the position of the Buddhist monks monks of Vietnam, doused himself with gasoline, and set himself aflame. Oh my Laporte, God. Laporte died the next day oh, at Bellevue Hospital from second and third degree burns covering 95% of his body. Oh, you, my You can see pictures God. of this one online. Despite his burns, he remained conscious and able to speak. Oh, my God. When asked why he had burned himself, Laporte calmly replied, I'm a Catholic worker. I'm against war, all wars. I did this as a religious action, all the hatred of the world. At the hospital... Catholic workers saying this little light of mine. Oh my God. Yeah. That's kind of a creepy song to sing it for is. somebody who yeah. <laughs> lit themselves on fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the whole thing is Ooh, just creepy. Like yeah. I didn't, these aren't the things you learn about in school. No. In the 60s. And then Monday, November 15, 1965, the Huntley Brinkley Report on NBC goes color on a regular basis. The first network evening newscast to be color cast nightly all right and then on saturday november 20th 1965 we got a new number one song by the supremes okay here are the lyrics you've given me a true love and every day i thank you love for a feeling that's so new so inviting so exciting whenever you're near i hear a symphony a tender melody pulling me closer closer to your arms then suddenly i hear a symphony ooh your lips are touching mine, a feeling so divine. I hear a symphony. Is I that what hear it's a called? symphony. Okay. You know that song? You know how that goes for real? I probably do if I would hear it for real, but I since I don't. Go ahead. Sing it. It's, uh, it's when I hear a symphony. Yeah, I don't remember ever hearing that song. Anyway, we don't have time yeah. for this. No. Um, What's next? <clears throat> Thursday, November 25th, 1965, CBS airs the first color broadcast of an NFL football game, a Thanksgiving Day matchup between the Baltimore Colts and the Detroit Lions. Detroit Lions are shitty. Okay. Sunday, November 28th, 1965, Julie Andrews' first TV special airs on NBC. Okay. And she showed some boob. No, she did not. Tuesday, November 30th, 1965, no, she didn't. Ben Stiller was born in New York City and raised on the Upper West Side. His father, comedian and actor Jerry Stiller, is from a Jewish family that emigrated from Poland. Why, do, why are we talking Europe. about this? His mother. We're supposed to be <laughs> moving along. We've got to hurry. comedian Ann Mira 
who is from an Irish Catholic background, converted. This is why I get mad at you. Marrying his father. This is why I get mad at you because we're supposed to be clipping along, but and we've got to we got to hustle, and you're and you're putting this bullshit in. This isn't bullshit. No, ben it's Stiller bullshit. It's ben touched Stiller. such bullshit ben right Stiller now. Stiller matters. You're in full America. of shit. Ben Stiller matters. Friday, December third, nineteen sixty-five. Bob Dylan said that if he ever sold out to a commercial interest, it would be ladies' garments. Okay. And then in 2007, he and his music appeared in the Victoria's Secret commercial. There we go. Saturday, December 4th, 1965. We got a new number one song on the Billboard charts by the Birds. Turn, turn, turn. To everything, there was a season. season. Yes. And I a love time that. to every purpose under heaven. A, a time, time to be born. A time to. Do you know what these words are from? Yes, the Bible. Oh, my God. Boom. Oh, my God. Genius. Boom, baby. How do you know that? You read the Bible every night? No, I'm just not an idiot. Oh, I am an idiot. <laughs> I didn't know that, that this was, uh, these were, uh, this is lyrics throughout the song or the final, or for the first eight verses of the third chapter of the biblical book of. Oh, I can't remember. Ecclesiastes. Oh, yeah. Ecclesiastes. 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 <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to hell now. Ecclesiastes. Okay. I can't say it. Let's move on. Anyway, I didn't know that, so that's why I was excited. So it wasn't even originally done by the birds, but they redid it. Um, and then Sunday, December 4th, 1965, TV Guide launches its Montana edition. And now covers all of the contiguous U.S. states. A Hawaii edition will be launched in 1968. Well, there we go. Montana was the last one other than Hawaii. Yep. I had no idea. They were like, well, I Larry, guess. that Larry watches TV. That lives in Montana. Larry is the only guy in Montana. He yep. lives in Thursday, December 9th, 1965. A Charlie Brown Christmas premieres oh, on love CBS. It. I wish the kids would watch that with me. I'm so mad at them that they don't. Our kids have joined uh, ISIS, so they don't yeah. watch it. Jerks. Monday, December 13, 1965, uh, a movie called A Thousand Clowns premieres. Okay. Directed by Fred Coe, starring Jason Robards. This movie features a oh, scene. Oh, it's based on a play, I think. This, Yeah, uh, maybe this movie features a scene. The only reason I'm talking about this. There's a scene in this movie where Jason Robards walks in front of the Lincoln Center for the performing arts during its construction. The Lincoln Center is a huge deal yeah. in New York City. Yeah. So in this movie, you can see it. Being then, under construction. And then Saturday, December 25th, 1965 is Christmas Day. And we got a new number one song in the Billboard charts by the Dave Clark Five. Are you familiar with them? I've heard of them. The DC Five, they call them. Mm -hmm. They were the second band in the British Invasion. Oh, they were. I didn't I, know I that. I never heard of them. I didn't know that. Anyway, here's the lyrics. See if we can figure it out. Um, 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 um. Well, I went to a dance just the other night. Everybody there was dead. I said over and over and over again, this dance is going to be a drag. What? I said over and over and over again, this dance is going to be a drag. I said over and over and over again, this dance is going to be a drag. I don't know. Um, 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 all um. right, that's all it. at once it happened. The prettiest in the world. I said, uh, won't you come over and talk to me and be my girl? I said, won't you come over and talk to me okay. and be my girl? What is it? The song is called Over and Over Again. 
over and I over. can't tell at all from what you're doing there. Your little song, your little dog and pony show you're doing over the there. Dog and pony show? I don't, I, don't, I can't tell Just what the Just because I get on. my wiener out doesn't make it a dog and pony show. <laughs> can you play it for a minute and let me see if I can figure over it out? Over and over again? I've never heard of this, ever. This is going to be a drag. You've heard of that? Yeah, I've heard it. No, you have not. I said over and over and over again, this dance is going to be a drag. you never heard of that. I have. I've it's heard about it drag before. queens. Anyway, they were known as DC5. Uh, they, were, uh, they were promoted as vanguard of the Tottenham sound in response to Liverpool's Mersey beat sound. Dave Clark struck business deals that allowed him to produce the band's recordings and gave him control of the master recordings. Okay. Let's move so on. they never like you couldn't hear you couldn't listen to them anywhere until mm. like the 2000s because Dave oh really Dave Clark was in charge of them for some reason I don't know why he didn't want anybody to listen and then Sunday December 26th wait are you gonna go over any toys I thought that was you I well you last did. year you did it yeah but I did it this year I did it at the beginning of the year remember I played some commercials for like Oh, stuff. So I think I already covered it. Okay, keep so we're going. Have to skip it this year, December twenty sixth, nineteen sixty five. The NFL Championship was not played until sixty six. The Packers beat the Browns, so we'll have to cover the American Football League Championship game mm-hmm. uh, at Balboa Stadium in San Diego between the Western Division champion San Diego Chargers and the Eastern Division champion Buffalo Bills. Okay. The defending champion Bills entered the game as a six-and-a-half-point underdog, and the Chargers had won the first regular season meeting in October by a convincing 34-3 score and tied the Thanksgiving rematch 20-20 to in favorable 60-degree weather conditions. The day after Christmas, the Bills shut out the Chargers and repeated as champions, scoring two touchdowns in the second quarter, one on a punt return. They added field goals, three field goals. God, this is so boring. In the Nobody second half cares. to win 23 to nothing. I'm totally, no, I'm, I'm thinking about how I, I want to redecorate this room right now. I can't believe That's the Buffalo I'm Bills redecorate. I can't believe the Buffalo Bills won a championship ever. Okay. Anyway, this was the last AFL championship to end the season because the first Super Bowl followed the 1966 you know, season. You know, the Super Bowl was named after the Super Bowl. I found that out today. What's the Super Bowl? A Super Bowl. Those, that toy, that ball that's like this big and then you bounce it and it bounces way up high in the sky. No, when you say the this guy, big, nobody can see it because it's a podcast. Well, the size of a quarter. But usually they're like bright red. Quarter. And they're real rubber, and you bounce it, and it goes way high. You know what I'm talking about, Super Bowls. Yeah, I've heard of a Super Bowl. That's what Super Bowl was named after. Who says? The the guy, it was some guy some from guy. the football thing. Had his, some guy his from the son, football thing. His, <laughs> some guy, this sounds uh, real. This his sounds, son had a Super Bowl, and they were trying to come up with a name, what they wanted to name the championship game. Okay. And he said, well, why don't we, these Super Bowls are so... So popular, why don't we do why don't we do that? Why don't we just name it Super Bowl? The integrity of our podcast is really being <laughs> questioned. I right I now. listened to a podcast today, I heard it. You listen to podcasts? Yes. And then Friday, December thirty first, <laughs> nineteen sixty five, New Year's Eve, a movie came out. It was released. It was called Doctor Zhivago. Oh, you ever hear of it? Oh yes. Produced, never I've never seen it though. Produced by Carlo Ponti. Written by Boris Pasternak, uh, he wrote the novel, The Life of a Russian Physician and Poet who, although married to another, falls in love with a political activist's wife 
and experiences hardship during World War I and then the October Revolution. Now, Pasternak wrote this. Mm-hmm. He started writing Dr. Zhivago around 1915. Wow. But did not finish it until 1956. It was then refused publication in Russia because it rejected socialist realism, the book. Wow. The manuscript was smuggled out and published in the West. The CIA then secretly worked to influence the Nobel Committee to award Pasternak their 1958 prize in literature. But Pasternak had to decline the prize as he was told he would be denied re-entry to Russia if he went to collect it. Oh, well, that's a dilemma. David Lean's uh, film of Dr. Zhivago released in 1965 starring Omar Sharif. Mm-hmm. Won five Oscars. Omar Sharif played the title role with his son, Tarek Sharif, playing the eight-year-old Shivago. Shivago comes from the Russian word "zhiv," meaning life. In 1989, Pasternak's son was finally allowed to go to Sweden to receive his father's Nobel Medal. Hmm. Dr. Shivago was published in Russia in 1988 and shown as a miniseries on Russian TV in 2006. But not till 1988 could you see it in Russia. That no sucks. Crazy? It must suck to live in Russia. It must. It's not even cold and stuff, and just gray all the time. Well, in the movie, when Rod Steiger kissed Julie Christie for the first time, her struggling and surprise is genuine because Steiger deliberately French kissed her, sticking his Whoa. tongue into her mouth. Really? Knowing, yeah. And now I want to see that scene. Now you want to see it, and good luck not masturbating, everyone. Because <laughs> there's nothing more hot than someone French kissing someone else who's not into it. it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's not true. Okay, that's a it's, bad note to yeah. end our podcast on, and end the year on 1965. 1965 is done. It always makes me a little depressed because I have to start researching all over again in 1966 that's right begun it's gonna be hard it's gonna work i don't have the time and we don't want to hear your bullshit belly aching no just i just want our listeners our our 100 listeners to know how much work we put in it takes a lot of time to research all this stuff it does it's we started this podcast thinking oh let's not even research anything let's just talk about it just read stuff off the internet that's what we did in the first season then we quickly realized Oh, it's better if we know what we're doing. Know what the hell we're talking about? But we do that because we love you. That's all. We love you. All right. And your Let's bodies. wind it up. It's time to get we out of here. Your Chuck bodies. We love your body hair. Stop it. We love your pubes. No. Let's stop get it. Get out of here, Brent Nelson. Get out of here, Chuck Berry. Time to get out of here, Brent Nelson and Chuck Berry. Love you, Brent Nelson. Do you love what? Brent Nelson? No, I what knew you... it. No. I what? knew there was something going on between you and Brent Nelson. Let's no, talk. we're just okay. pen pals. I've turned off the recording. Let's talk about this. Let's talk this out. This isn't a little post, a little interlude from our podcast. Let's talk this out. Do you? you it's me or him? Brent Nelson or me? We're you just choose. pen pals, honey. Pen pals? Sexual pen pals? No. No, just regular. Dildo pals? No. No dildos have been exchanged. They haven't? No. Are they going to be? No, I don't think. Who'd rather Maybe. be with? Who'd rather be with? You, of course you. What about Brent Nelson? Oh, yeah, he's going to feel bad if he yeah, hears this. Yeah, he's got a nice bod. You think he still hears this? No, I don't th- I think he gave up because I'm Brent an asshole. Brent Nelson, have you can you hear me? Brent Nelson can't hear us. Darn it. He stopped listening because I'm an asshole. That's right, I forgot. He's done listening to this asshole, is what he said. 
Oh, <laughs> Brent Nelson. Give us another chance. How do we bring you back, Brent Nelson? He'll what, change. Joe will change. What if I just? What if we just release some episodes without, like, I cut out all of my voice? No, let's not do that. It'll be the Brent Nelson version. It'll be awful. Brent Nelson got a big old butt. Oh yeah. All right. I'm gonna type me Brent Nelson. Samantha, that's a hickey. When you were all alone, no watched tower, a kiss in the sky. Well, I was barely a glimmer in my young daddy's eyes. Said the wind so tired of hearing about the six days. One more time, I said, we're so tired of hearing about the six days. Well, make me shut my mouth. Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. Samantha. Samantha. Samantha.